Uh, and you, I want to begin today, Pauline O'Reilly, by asking about those who slept rough last night. Uh, there was a commitment given following the snowfall we had yesterday that emergency arrangements would be put in place to provide shelter. Do we know if everyone who needed a bed last night, um, people would have seen scenes of tents covered in snow in Dublin City in, in particular. Did everybody who needed a bed get one? It's my understanding that they did. It's my understanding that anybody who was seeking accommodation last night um, at Mount Street did get emergency accommodation. I think that's really important that there's always an amount of emergency accommodation there for those who are most vulnerable and that did kick into place. And did they have to seek it or was there an outreach effort made? Uh, there was know? an outreach. There was an outreach. I, d- I did check that this morning before coming in. So I think every effort is being made, to be fair, every effort is being made to <coughs> deal with these uh, crises and, um, and I just wanted to thank those involved in it but obviously we know that this is an ongoing issue and I do think that um, and that now we need to see that that longer term plan that um, that we've been talking about and that the department wants. Okay now the, the people on Mount Street people would be aware in Dublin there was about 100 men or so there but there's 1100 uh, men at the moment male asylum seekers without state accommodation when you say that everybody was accommodated are you also including the other thousand well, I think or so? It's, I think what's really important to say is when we're talking about um, those who don't have state accommodation it's not that they're all sleeping rough they're you know they're finding accommodation themselves in many instances with people that they know through through communities but in terms of people sleeping who, who were there last night in Mount Street that was the centre for where to seek the emergency accommodation. That's why people went there um, and then they were met and and, uh, and given emergency accommodation. So that's the level of the kind of uh, people who would have been sleeping rough if that emergency accommodation hadn't been found. And so how long will those arrangements stay in place? Will, will that accommodation be offered tonight, the next night? Well, well I mean, I think, I think it's quite clear that if we see the same kind of temperatures, it's the same kind of emergency response that we would expect. Um, but, you know, long term, we do need to see that state accommodation um, and we need that that agreement across government to put in place those longer term plans. All right, uh, Padre Tobin, um, how long do you think accommodation arrangements should be left in place for people who are currently without accommodation? Well, I think the government needs to get its act together in terms of delivery of accommodation. So we put in a parliamentary question to Minister Roderick Gorman in relation to the amount of buildings he's bought over the last two years uh, to accommodate asylum seekers. He's bought 37. And we asked how many of those have been actually put into use. And he said one has been put into use in those two years. We also know that the 700 rapid bills that were promised in May 2022 Less than half of those have actually been completed at this stage. And we know even in the 85% of the accommodation that was uh, uh, pledged for Ukrainians coming to Ireland, you know, were never actioned at all. So this country has a massive problem in the delivery of uh, infrastructure, both to the indigenous population and, as we can see this weekend, uh, to people who are coming to Ireland uh, to seek asylum as well. And and that's that's the root of this cause. It's the inability of this government to actually provide infrastructural projects. All right, Catherine Connolly, um, in terms of the emergency accommodation solutions that um, Pauline O'Reilly was describing there, what do you think of them? Thanks very much. It's freezing here in Galway today, so I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in a tent in Dublin. 
I, I listened yesterday to a lot of news bulletins in relation to what was happening and people were obliged to ring up the Joe Duffy witnesses to say what was happening and 1,103 asylum seekers without accommodation, over 80 tents and more than one person per tent in Mount Street in the middle of our capital city. Now, I appreciate what the Senator O'Reilly is saying with some progress has been made, but it's actually a little vague around the total number of people who have no emergency accommodation, 1,103. This should have never happened. I'm worried that she's saying that if the temperature continues this protection will be given. Nobody should be sleeping on the side of the street. This did not happen overnight. The direct provision was introduced 24 years ago. We all knew it was not fit for purpose. It took many, many years and many reports for the government to admit it wasn't fit for purpose. And we got a very good report from Catherine Day, followed by a white paper from the government that committed to stopping direct provision by this year, by this year, Absolutely no progress has been made on that. Unfortunately, direct provision should be stopped. It was the intention of government to build direct centres to house asylum seekers and we have international obligations in relation to those people arriving on our shores. And in the context of what's happening in the world, they are relatively small numbers. At the moment, as I understand it, we have 26,000 people seeking asylum in a country that has a population of 5 million. That surely is a manageable number. And just within that number, we have approximately 6,000 people who have refugee status and can't leave direct provision. They want to leave, they want to work, they want to contribute to society, but we have provided no accommodation right. for them. I just want to, I want to get Pauline O'Reilly's response to that because both Padre Tobin and Catherine Connolly uh, have pointed to what they see as a failure to deliver large-scale infrastructure to cope with people coming and seeking asylum. What's your response to that? Look, I think it's it's really important to put this in context that we, you know, we as a country have stepped up and 150,000 people have been accommodated over the last couple of years. And, you know, to be fair, the white paper that we all wanted um, to, to get over the line and to end direct provision, that that's before the war in Ukraine. Um, and, and indeed, the the numbers of, of those seeking asylum um, has increased, albeit that it is, as Catherine says, you know, it's on a par with other European countries. So we, we mustn't lose sight of that. Um, and I think that, kind of that the numbers that we're talking about in terms of e- even the modular homes, like it, even those numbers there from Pather show that progress has been made on that. But what we want to see is that we want to see this next white paper agreed, which would have approximately six accommodation centres and that, that that is where people will go in the first instance. But I think two years down the line to have accommodated 150,000 people is is a good thing that the state has done. But long term, we know that with um, with with all of the multiple things going on across okay. the world, including in Afghanistan now at the moment, there are crises. Everybody across the globe is dealing with this. And, um, and absolutely nobody should be sleeping okay. on I, the streets. I, I, but I just, have outlined I just, I, no, that I, people I, were given accommodation. I, 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 I do need to move on and it's, it's not an unrelated area because I want, we have a look, want to have a look at the news this week that Gardaí are investigating claims that an unregulated emergency accommodation firm previously used by the state's child and family agency, Tusla, had altered Garda vetting files and fabricated pre-employment checks 
and that has brought one section of emergency accommodation into sharp focus. The Irish Times story drew attention to the profile of children and young people who are being accommodated in hotels, Airbnbs and other types of accommodation under what are known as Special Emergency Arrangements or SEAs. Last week, the majority of the young people in this type of accommodation were unaccompanied minors, 115 children who arrived into the state on their own. The CEO of Tusla, Karen Duggan, told the Public Accounts Committee that those children are among the t- <coughs> excuse me, 1,200 who've arrived here without a parent or a guardian in recent times. Well, Anne Mara is Education Manager with MECPATS, a not-for-profit organisation raising awareness of child trafficking in Ireland, and she joins me now. Anne Mara, uh, good afternoon to you and thanks for joining joining us. You're welcome, Colm. Uh, your organisation is involved in training frontline workers like Tusla staff on how to identify child trafficking victims and to protect children against it. What concerns do you have about the use of this special emergency accommodation and who's ending up there? Um, we have grave concerns about this type of accommodation that's offered to both unaccompanied minors, but also to children in care within the um, mainstream child protection system in this country. I suppose these are concerns that have been echoed specifically in the last uh, 12 months um, across many organisations. Um, the child It's not a new phenomenon, Column. The Child Law Project has been reporting on the precariousness of these special emergency arrangements for 10 years now. And the Ombudsman for Children's Office just came out recently and asked that these arrangements be ended um, um, as a matter of urgency. And we would certainly um, agree with with those um, requests. I suppose we're talking about these unaccompanied minors who are coming from war-torn countries, the majority of which come from Afghanistan, Ukraine and Somalia. They arrive into Ireland under the age of 18, presenting without parents or any legal caregivers. They have the highest levels of vulnerability, including the significant trauma that they have experienced, including PTSD. They're separated from their families. They arrive in Ireland, might not even be able to speak English, um, and they have severe emotional and mental health problems. So we would have great concerns about them being placed into um, these particular um, venues, such as hotels and B&Bs as placements um, of care. Now, what we do know from the UK is that they had a similar problem um, and they um, were accommodating unaccompanied minors in hotels in England. And they have approximately 400 unaccompanied minors who have gone missing um, from the care of the home office. Um, We also here in Ireland um, had a report from the sexual exploitation exploitation research project from UCD last summer and that was published um, and the findings of that um, communicated a grave concern around the safety of children. You, you, you might people. you might just tell listeners what was in that because there were very disturbing yeah. reports of children going missing for days on end, people seeking to sexually yeah. exploit those children, lining up in cars outside accommodation uh, to take them away and establishing abusive relationships with them that involved the exchanges of money and gifts and the like. But perhaps you'd give an insight into what what concerns you particularly saw in that, that report. Yeah, 
I think the findings um, showed that children in care between the ages of 14 and 17, um, but there were some children who presented as 12 and 13 at the time, were being targeted by organised groups of men. And they were being groomed and trafficked for sexual exploitation. So there were taxis arriving at these hotels where these children were being accommodated and they were being taken and checked into hotels all across Ireland and um, sold for the purposes of sexual exploitation. It put into writing this piece of research for the first time, um, grounded in this academic research, what we have been hearing as an organisation anecdotally over the last number of years. And just to be clear, the the profile of children discussed in the UCD report were not limited Mm -hmm. to unaccompanied minors. These would have been uh, children who came from... uh, perhaps a dysfunctional family setup in Ireland or maybe had complex behavioural needs that were being accommodated in these emergency settings as well. Yes, yes, and residential care units as well. So it looked at, at, at the whole cohort of those vulnerable children. And just on, on, on the level of, say, monitoring unaccompanied minors who would find themselves in that vulnerable situation, uh, Kate mm-hmm. Duggan, the CEO of Tusla, told the Public Accounts Committee that 96% of the unaccompanied minors that, that they were talking about that were being accommodated were, uh, were were male. So 4% are female. So in the area specifically of the danger of sexual exploitation, it wouldn't seem to be a huge number of people to be monitoring in order to provide safeguarding. No, but we have to also realise that children are trafficked for other reasons besides sexual exploitation and there's children trafficked for criminal exploitation, forced begging, domestic servitude, um, etc. in this country. So I think the fact that um, we're talking about such highly vulnerable children, it is a matter of great urgency that this is really given the attention that has long been requested. And it's not just, it can't just be the responsibility of TUSLA, one statutory agency or indeed one department within government. This requires a whole of government response. It needs to be across education, social protection, justice, children um, and housing. This It has come to a crisis point in this country where there has been this increasing reliance on private accommodation providers and that just simply can't go on. We had that letter from Judge Sims who's since retired and he was expressing his alarm in terms of the safety of these children in the care of the state. And Uh, so something really has to happen um, and happen quickly. In terms of unaccompanied minors, there were 60 of those missing at the end of last year. That statistic doesn't account for people who turned 18 uh, at, at the time of going missing. So effectively, people go missing off the missing statistics once they turn to being adults. But in January alone this year, 22 children have gone missing from state care. Why does it seem that there are no notices put out about people going missing and an active effort find to lo- made to locate them? Well, I do think the Gardaí are notified whenever a child goes missing from the care of the state. And we know that over 60 unaccompanied minors have gone missing since 2017. And I think the current most recent figures would suggest that there are 15 unaccompanied minors unaccounted for today at present. Um, So I do think um, the Gardaí are involved. Why are there? I I just I don't I think there's there's a miss 
maybe a misconception that these children, these unaccompanied minors, have made efforts to be reunited with family members or have well, that's taken what the in, in, has said in in response to reports that they're most of them are over sixteen. Mm-hmm. They they leave the jurisdiction or they make contact with uh, family members who are already in the state. You you you're not reassured by that. Well, while I think that's absolutely possible, we have to think of the profile of these children. These children are here without um, any um, parental or legal caregivers. They may not even speak English um, to to navigate um, the the transport systems or indeed any other systems within this country. And they are coming with um, high levels of trauma and they are so vulnerable and easily targeted by those individuals who would be who are on the lookout or who would be looking to take advantage of those vulnerabilities and we know it's happening in these country and so whilst they might be reunited with family members and I hope that is the case if we look across to the, what's happened in the UK they know that 400 of their um, missing unaccompanied minors have most likely been trafficked for some type of exploitation I- and so we have to assume that it may be a possibility in this country. Can I just ask you briefly before we let you go, The you mentioned the UK uh, moving to close off this the use of uh, special emergency accommodation. Um, what happened? What did they do? What did they put in place instead of accommodating people in the, these temporary arrangements? I'm not sure that they've even come up with a solution. I just know that with um, many organisations, there was public outcry and a legal challenge was brought against the UK Home Office who were accommodating these children in hotels. The High Court found that it was unlawful to do so. And so um, they are... um, Again, they're very like um, our own statutory agencies in that they are at capacity. Um, but I don't know if they have come to um, a, a resolution of that particular situation. Okay. Anne Mara, uh, Education Officer with MECPATS, thanks very much for joining us this afternoon. To you firstly on this, uh, Pauline O'Reilly. Teenagers living in unregulated, unsupervised settings, hotels, B&Bs, and what you've heard there from Anne, that uh, vulnerable to exploitation when they've already come from a difficult place. What's your reaction to that? Well, look, I mean, everybody agrees, including everybody right across the departments and, and across government, that um, that these, you know, special care arrangements are, are not what should continue. And the goal, indeed, under the strategy for residential care is to increase the capacity by 110 beds. Now, I actually have a family member who works in residential care and, um, you know, for the most part, it is Irish children who are in residential care. And then those coming in, where there isn't, um, you know, where there isn't capacity, that's where we're finding these special arrangements. And the move is is to move people from that model into residential care and indeed into foster homes. And that's the correct approach. But even if even if the numbers are very small, um, it's a, it's it's even one child. It's a massive issue. And, you know, I think all of but us it's a massive is- a massive issue for the state, isn't it? Because when you look at the uh, sexual exploitation research project by UCD, the dangers are known. Uh, interviews are being conducted with staff that talk about this actively happening. The state could potentially have a case of reckless endangerment to answer. Well, I think that the important thing to to note is that things are being done. Of course, the of course the area is very very complex, but the twenty one people named in that report 
uh, that they have all been followed up with. So, I, so I just like to think, say that first. And I know that there's a you huge mean the UCD report, the UCD it? report, and I know that it's you know there's um, there is a great deal of pressure on on Garda Shiakana in terms of missing children, and they do put out notifications, and they have to look at that on a case by case basis. Maybe they need to change their approach to that. Um, I can't say that's a matter. Okay, of the but Department there's 115. Minors living in unregulated special emergency accommodation this week. Absolutely, but I think you know that doesn't mean that there aren't um, people within Tusla who are monitoring that. And I think what we've seen then in in the case of of a couple of those, they um, there were actually there's actually illegal activity in terms of falsification of of um, of guard the betting. But it's not as if sure. But Tusla themselves have made the case to have further use of unregulated settings, at least to have a three-month grace period in order to continue using these kinds of arrangements. What they, under their own strategy, and I'm, I'm not in Tusla, but what they, under their own strategy, have said is that they want to end the use of these. So, so let's be clear on that. They're not saying that they want to continue it, but obviously people need to be accommodated. Right, it sounds people, a lot like the direct provision discussion we were having earlier, doesn't it? I, I think I've been very clear that, and I think everybody's being very clear, that... Um, we want to move away from that model. But the point is um, that you have to say, well, where's the trajectory? And here is the trajectory that they've already done that, that, the, that there's been an increase in the budget for Tusla of nearly 100 million okay. last right. year, which, which is more than a lot of the other agencies. And that, you know, the un, unident, or, um, um, unaccompanied minors, minors yeah. are being met by Angartha Siakana. Um, in order to to assess them when they when they arrive, um, but it is the case, and we know of specific cases where people have left the country and have been reunited, and that's what they're doing. Okay, so not right. everybody I, is missing I, I, in terms of they're, they're in these um, very unsafe situations. Okay. We can't jump all to that. Right, okay, I, I, want, I want to move on to the other members of the panel. Pada Tobin, if there aren't enough uh, adequate and appropriate places. And the only option is accommodating accommodating people in hotels and these kinds of settings. Is it the lesser of two evils to do so then? Well, this is a national scandal and it's happening in real time and in full view of the government. And we in Aintu have been raising it with Minister Roger Gorman, who is responsible for this over the last two years, solid. And in that last two years, nothing has happened. It's actually getting worse, Colin. There's actually an increase in the number of children that are being spent, sent to these locations. In the, in the whole uh, uh, area, there are a number of different organisations. There's state organisations that mind children. There are then volunteer organisations that mind children. There are private ones that mind children. All of those are regulated. And then there's this special emergency accommodation. The first few, the regulated, are finding that their investment is actually reducing. Actually, the voluntary sector are actually closing at the moment. And they're telling me the Minister Roger Gorman is not meeting with them and doesn't understand the problem that's actually happening here. And then in, 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 the, in the other sector, we've been raising the fact that there are unvetted staff in these other locations for two years with the Minister. He's refused that. But now only in the last year, Tusla admitting that actually there right. were but groups... Th- would you accept there's, there's been, uh, according to Tusla themselves, there's been a 500% increase in the number of unaccompanied minors coming through. So th- they're in a firefighting situation and trying to find any accommodation for people. There, first of all, one of the reasons why it's so poor is because they can't employ people. Why they can't they employ people in the regulated sector is because they've actually taken staff out of normal pension entitlements at the moment. Deeper are refusing to pay staff the proper in, uh, pension entitlements. The staff in, in the regulated That's sector... the Department for Public Expenditure exactly. and Reform, just the regulated sector are also now on two separate uh, income brackets. One that was introduced in 2010 and another that was introduced in
in 2022. And as a result, they're losing staff to beat the band. Okay. And if the government won't employ people in that sector, that sector is going to diminish. And as a result, the government are putting children in danger at the moment in these SEAs. OK, I'll come back to you, Pauline O'Reilly, for your response on this. But Catherine Connolly, uh, to you on this, do you have some sympathy for Tusla and the predicament they find themselves in trying to accommodate children on the one hand and lacking the appropriate settings to refer them to on the other? I do have some sympathy for Tusla, absolutely. And I agree with the previous speaker and Mara in relation to this is much bigger than that organisation. And it's a cross, it's it's a government issue, really. And I'm thinking here, we had a referendum on children in 2012 and following a court case that became operational in 2015. And nine years later, we're talking about children being exploited. Children live in, in private for profit accommodation, unsupervised and unregulated. How could that happen in a republic after we passed a referendum? And I read that report on the Sexual Exploitation Research Project last year. I was sickened to my core and I asked myself, how have we come to this position where Tusla is left now bringing in regulations? They took assurances from private for-profit companies that everything was all right. And in fairness to them, their internal audit system discovered that things weren't all right. And now they apparently have a double lock system and they check. But how did we come to this point? How have we come to the point where we have... Of 316 children, only 100 have a social worker allocated to them. How has that happened? And it has happened because over the years that I've been a politician since 1999, I have watched the privatisation of our services on every level, all care services. We've reduced it to products rather than what is necessary to give a service so that we don't have to rely on for-profit um outsourcing as we do with direct provision right, well, as let, well let, let, and, and many, many other services. Colin. Let, let me put that to Pauline O'Reilly because, you know, it's often framed as a similar situation to the health system. Money's not the issue, but, you know, uh, it's it, it's the ability to get qualified staff. What about that specific point that Padre Tobin raised about the different pension treatment, for example, of social workers in the regulated sector? Would it be at least worth trying to resolve that to improve the recruitment situation in order to activate greater employment? Look, I I absolutely agree with that and it is something that uh, that we have constantly been raising with with the department um what's well, what's the what's the the rationale I appreciate it, it it's not exactly I, I, your area but no, what, no, what's the not rationale area, given and, for and not regular regularizing I don't, this I don't want to put words in other people's mouth on this but um I think there that there has been there has been issues in relation to pay agreements um that I think that are unresolved but I don't accept all of those arguments but I mean personally for me I'm as sickened as anyone else to read it. And what we can do is to say, have each of these cases been followed up on? And yes, they have. And if anything arises, is it being followed up on? Yes, it is. Are there protocols in place for missing children? Yes, there are. Should there be more? Yes. And and, and has, has TUSLA a strategy to address this? Yes, it also has a strategy to address this. But it goes back to the question, you know, that you but put does at the that outset. Strategy, does that strategy, Catherine Connolly's concern there, that that strategy involves the continuous outsourcing of, uh, of, these, of these care needs to a very expensive sector that is, has, has the wherewithal effectively then to recruit staff from within the regulated sector? No, that's, that strategy is a goal to increase um, the, the provision of, of ordinary residential care places. That's what that strategy is. But 
Indeed, like other situations, if there's an emergency, you must accommodate people. And the most vulnerable are those that are accommodated first. But as as was said um, by your contributor earlier on, Marie, there, yeah. there, are, there are issues there around increased violence in certain parts of the world. And we have seen a, a 500% increase. Afghanistan is one of the biggest areas, for instance, for unaccompanied minors. They, they may be over just, 16. People people are able to move around. Children as young as eight. Or, well, or children or as young as ab- ab- absolutely nobody or nobody is saying yeah, nobody is saying there, that. There, there are children as young as eight currently in these SEAs, which is incredible. One case I know of: a, a child was moved nine times in five months, and her the only place she had to play was was in a car park. There's another PQ that we put in showed that there's been a thousand court cases in terms of trafficking in this country in the last ten years. There've been three convictions. Three convictions out of a thousand cases. Ireland is on a watch list, according to the State Department of the United States, because we're not dealing with trafficking enough. And, you know, when a judge, a retired judge, puts his head on, on, on the line by actually breaking cover and giving four reports to Roger Gorman. Roger Gorman deletes three of them, Sorry, but stating that there le- were GDPR issues legal, in, in there relation are legal to that. Issues. But the, there are the human issues too, the Pauline. There are cannot, human issues too, and they're not the being dealt with. The department cannot act illegally, Pather. And, and I think you but, but know that. And it all, was not Roger Gorman. Okay. Judge, Judge, Judge Sims said he, he anonymized those documents and he also got permission to give those documents uh, to the minister. And also, deeper reported Judge Sims for actually doing something that he shouldn't have done. A, a whistleblower in, 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 in Tusla right, okay. was refused right, okay. in relation well, to providing you're getting, you're information Catherine Connolly. Yeah. Could I just come in there just in relation to what Pauline has said that every child is followed up? That's not accurate. It's not possible because Tusla don't have enough resources. I think she was referring specifically to the UCD sexual exploitation uh, uh, report. Okay. No, that... In the first place, that research was done by the university. It wasn't done by Tusla. They were unaware that that was happening, or maybe they were aware but hadn't a mechanism to go back on it. So young children being picked up by men in cars, that that's in that report for exploitation. Of the unaccompanied minors, only 100 have an allocated social worker. Now, I have to be fair to Tusla, and they tell me there are other case workers, but only 100 out of the 316 have an allocated social worker. So it is not possible to follow up on children if there's if this, um, an absence of staff and an absence of resources. Okay. And then when we hear that an increase was given, I despair of that. I despair of reducing a service to what money additionally, additionally was given, as opposed to what... What do we need to fund a service that will allow the services to be given with in a public, non-for-profit uh, accommodation. Okay. All right. Well, there, we're going to. There's less than a week to go to the referendums, and we're going to turn our attention to that after the break. Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio One. 